720 WGN. It's Amy Guth here on the Saturday Night Special. Thanks so much for joining me and sharing part of your weekend with me. Appreciate you doing that. I've got room for callers tonight, and I'm look forward to, looking forward to hearing from all of you because I have some, I have many topics I'd like to hear from you on. And you know, you know how I do in this show. I like to have a good amount of, you know, I like my academics and the experts so that we can all learn together from them and their knowledge, right? But there is something that has been trending all day that is so ridiculous. I've got to bring it up. Try as I might, I was like, I can't, I can't walk in there and talk about this, but I have to because. Everywhere I look on the internet, this is a thing. It is, okay, you remember the Tide Pods? Remember, everybody was going, no, 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 don't, don't drink those. Don't, don't take them. They're, they're going to kill you. Don't, don't take Tide Pods. Okay, so Glenn Levitt has now made booze pods. They are, it is exactly what it sounds like. It is a little pod. It is clear. It is made by a, with a biodegradable seaweed edible material. It is filled with scotch. The internet has strong feelings about this. So I got to talk with you about this, my friends, because it's a thing. I mean, there's a video. So Glenn Levitt, if you follow him on social media, or if you don't, maybe you should now, but look at them. There's a video in which they've, you know, very tenderly, I'm going to use the word plop this little, I don't know, bubble of scotch onto a board. And they're like, look, in a very artisan way, like it's a charcuterie plate. And nonetheless, there. so there's three flavors. They were introduced as part of London Cocktail Week is is what caused all this. But it seems like one of those, like, what what do you do with this? Because who wants to just have, because you bite it and then you have the little scotch explosion happening, right? Interesting feedback, though, right? Because I'm always looking at Twitter to kind of get a pulse on things, see what people are saying. And I like looking at a variety of opinions. But, you know, one one tweet was like, hey, edible cocktail capsules, holding aside all the jokes, this is fascinating, sustainable, biodegradable packaging. Now we can drink in space, you guys, you know, Okay, so some people are weighing in. Some people are talking about accessibility. So like, hey, if you, you know, have a disability or uh, an illness of some kind where opening a bottle or holding a cup would be difficult, this is a way to overcome that. There have been some thoughtful points, but mostly the points have been, what in the heck is this? Why are we doing this? What on earth? Producer Ben Anderson, what is your opinion about the Glenn Levitt pod? Uh, I'm pretty sure you just described the adult version of Gushers fruit snacks. That's, I mean, <laughs> yes, yes, that's, that's how I I feel about these. But uh, yeah, I think it's weird. I think it's a little weird because you and, you and I were talking before the show, yeah. and I I showed you and, the video. Yeah, but I like my scotch with a little bit a little bit of ice, maybe one or two cubes, and you know I feel like this just takes out the enjoyment of scotch appreciate you know aficionados. Well, I, I haven't seen one in person, so I can't say exactly how big they are. But in the video, you see a person eating them. So it looks like, you know, it's maybe bigger than a Ritz cracker. It's big. Didn't, big enough. Didn't so it, the pod bounce when it dropped oh, on yeah. the board? They like that, lovingly that place me. it on a wooden board. Because it's just, you know, it's, it's a little pocket of scotch. But to me, the idea of just, it's like doing a shot. Just all of a sudden. <laughs> I think it's weird. <laughs> I think it's weird. Anyway, I had to get that off my chest because I think the pod... The, the whiskey pod is a little silly, but I do see the point they're trying to make that if you, um, you know, say you have like arthritis, say that you have a disability and like opening a bottle or holding a cup would be difficult. I get that. But mostly doing a No, 
no, I'm not feeling this. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know about this. So, it, like I said, it, this is for London Cocktail Week. So we'll see if suddenly they're like gangbusters. Maybe they'll be widely available. I can't imagine going to the store and being like, you know what? I'm going to go get. I'm going to go get a, a box of the booze pods and just do it up. I don't know. That seems a little odd to me. But we got. It sounds like we have a caller with an opinion about that. All right, I'll give you. I'll give you a second. They're talking. They're talking in there about some things. There are many things to discuss about booze pods. Well, here in a second, we're going to talk with Terry. Hi, Terry. You're on WGN. You have an opinion about the booze pods? <laughs> yeah, Amy. First of all, Glenn Levitt. What great booze! Yeah, Legendary right. Yeah, booze. And for them to diminish their brand by coming up with this goofy, quirky idea, I'm befuddled. Uh, I'm I'm floored. It makes absolutely no sense. It uh, makes them look foolish. Don't you agree? I do. I agree with you about the the brand quality. You think of, you know, that's a that's a perfectly good scotch. You you think like, oh, that's a that's what you pour a little sip of at the end of the day and just relax, let it roll over the tongue in a nice glass. It's all good. And the idea of, I don't know, just sitting down like I'm going to I'm going to go home after work and have a, a pot of booze. That sounds re- That just seems silly to me. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like uh, Glenn Fittich getting a hold of the Ben and Jerry guys. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's, or, right. Or That's right. Finding the last Howard brother. Yeah. You know, now the Chimp and Curly are gone. <laughs> uh, just, <laughs> hey, I love the subject. Amy, I love your show and always listen. You guys keep up the good work. Thanks. I appreciate you, Terry. Have a great night. You too. All right. That was nice. I appreciate comments like that. That's really nice. Now, here's a thought. Ben, let me run this one by you. Imagine, say they catch on. Imagine walking into a bar and they're like, hey there. Hey, man, what can I get you? And they put a cocktail napkin in front of you and you're like, I'll take a, give me a pot of, give me a a pot of Glen Levitt. (laughs) That's just, it's just weird. It's, it's weird. And here's the thing. I try not to be that person that is automatically critical of change mm-hmm. right because that's what we're programmed to do facebook changed their font and everyone lost their mind yeah right yeah we're, we're programmed to to resist change because routine is comfortable to our brains i get that that's mm-hmm. fair so i try very very hard to say you know what the only constant in the world is change i try to be open to new ideas i mm, i cannot with the pod though i mean I, that was the first thing i saw today when i looked at started looking at social media sites to see what was trending. I was like, booze pods? What the heck is a booze pod? So let me ask you this then. Yeah. Would you feel differently if it was somebody like, um, let's say like Jack Daniels and they're like, you know, they're, um, they're mixed, you know, drinks that they do as far as the, uh, you know, the Lynchburg lemonade lemonade and stuff like that, where it's more of a shot, like a mixed shot type deal. I mean, I'm in my 40s. I'm not really in the shot phase of my life well, anymore. <laughs> anyway, true. <laughs> to true. be fair. Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I think it would be like for a brand like, what's that? Gr- uh, not green. Uh, that the blue stuff. Hypnotique. Oh, yeah, right. So something yeah. that's already, I feel like Glenn Levitt's too high end of a thing. Not that that's no. the fanciest booze in the world, but you know what I mean? So something like if it was already a kitschy, campier brand. Like Fireball? Or, yeah, right, right. Yeah. That that already has a little bit of camp to it. I mean, Hypnotique is blue. Even I think, yeah. I was going to say Midori at first, but no, I think even Midori is like no. too no. good. It seems like if it's one of those kind of, you know, I mean, there was a, I used to live by this this wine shop and they used to put really funny 
booze in the window. And I remember walking by one time and they had like Fruit Loop flavored and Mountain Dew flavored vodka. I mean, something like that. I could see being in a pod. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to have an open mind, especially for the accessibility part. I mean, my dad has rheumatoid arthritis and very simple tasks are sometimes very difficult for him. Mm-hmm. So I get that. That's a thing. I can't imagine being like, Dad, I have a solution for you. Yeah, you can drink your scotch yeah. in a pod. I just I see it being uh, trendy yeah. in, like, in the pre-made shot form. So if like Southern Comfort came out with the SoCo and Lime... Mm, I like I mean, th- things like that. I think that would take off a, a little bit, for, at least for a while, and just be a trend be, until and, everybody yeah. just goes back to their normal. It, you know how yeah. in bars, like the chalkboard, it'll be like beer in a shot, five mm. bucks, whatever. Uh, it would be interesting if, th- say, this catches on and it's a thing, and there's shots. It would be like beer in a pod or something. Here's the thing: I got to draw the line though at Malort. If it's like a Malort hometown hometown booze. I'm all about the homegrown stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Malort tastes like grass clippings and vodka, for better or worse. Some people love it. I yep. am not I I am not that person. Anyway. We're gonna go to break. When we come back, I have some things that I want to talk with you about because there's there's lots of new Uber stuff. We got some rideshare themes happening tonight, but I want to talk with you about uh, a new thing that Uber has launched. In fact, two new things. So I would love to hear your opinion on that. Back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. Seven twenty WGN. It's Amy Guth. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. Appreciate your time. I hope you're warm and dry. It's chilly and rainy and yuck out there. Fall is here, my friends. I feel like we did not get a fair crack at summer. I feel like this year still owes us a little more summer. But nonetheless, it looks like fall is here to stay, although I think it's going to be a little sunnier tomorrow. We shall see. All right, a couple of things I would love to talk with you about. One of them, so we all know Uber, right? Rideshare app. They're doing some things. And a little bit later in the show, we're going to hear from A.D. Quigg from Crane's Chicago Business about how Mayor Lightfoot is interacting with some of the ride share companies and vice versa. So we're going to be hearing from her about that. But right now I want to talk with you about a couple of new things from Uber. One of them is that Uber Works has launched. It is a, uh, it's exactly what it sounds like, right? It is like matching people with jobs. It kind of works the same way as the, as the drivers, right? You, you summon that, Hey, I need a ride and drivers then if they're nearby or going that way, someone whoever punches first says, yep, I'll take that ride. I'll go there. Kind of the same thing, right? So you, the worker, fill in, say, I have these skills. These are the kind of jobs I'm looking for. And then workers can, you know, say, I have a a shift open from, say, four to eight. And then if that's in alignment with you, you can say, that's the thing I want. So it's very interesting, especially because California has some legislation that they've just recently passed around who's a contractor, who is an employee, which is, you know, that's a big topic. We've talked about that a lot here in this show as we've moved further into the gig economy. But also Illinois is considering legislation like that, too, which would kind of change this. But nonetheless, Uber has launched this as of yesterday, and they've launched it here, here in Chicago. So I think that's kind of an interesting thing. I almost want to tell you the truth. I want to try it. I want to sign up and try it and just see what it's like, because then I feel like I can talk about it better. And if I like it, I'll stay. It's fine. I don't know. It's fine. I think it's interesting. It's an interesting way. Now, one issue that has come up, though, in talking about this, they're kind of outsourcing a bit of the um, you know background checks and, and some of the payroll and that kind of thing to other companies that are used to dealing with temp workers and kind of already have that infrastructure in place. 
So to me, that's interesting because that's come up a lot in the warehouse delivery realm um, where it's very... um, it's difficult for employees to, you know, move forward, get a raise, things like that, negotiate things in the workplace, because you're kind of working, you're, you're at least one or two degrees away from the actual company. So you can, you're not really an employee of them, you know, so I think it raises a lot of interesting issues. But I don't know, I, if you're considering it, or if you've already signed up, I would love to hear from you 312-981-7200. Because I think that is interesting, right? I mean, Uber's gotten into a lot of business, right? They have, they have, um, of course, the rideshare part that they're most known for. Uber Freight, which is expanded quite a bit, and they're moving into old post office area, um, and adding many, many jobs. So Uber's, you know, doing some stuff. There's Uber Eats, there's, you know, say, that's all my this favorite, stuff. Uber Eats. Oh, you've used that? Yeah. Oh, Tell I've never I've tried. Used. Here's my thing. I, I feel so guilty ordering delivery. I just feel bad. I don't do it. I, I, I don't do. I can't. I do have it. no problems. Getting Why do you feel yeah. guilty? Because I can go get it. It's fine. Well, first of all, I, exactly. I cook a lot. I cook all the time. Right. I like to be really on top of you know eating well and all that. So I, I try to eat really healthy. So I feel like I can control that best if I'm cooking it. And I enjoy cooking. So I mostly cook. But even you know once in a while, like I don't know. I mean, I have ordered food before, obviously. But I just always feel bad. Like you know, I can just go get it. It's fine. I agree, except for days like today. You know, our listeners out there might be in because they don't want to miss Amy Guth, you know, and they don't want to leave the house. I, so I seriously doubt that is a thing, but okay, let's I, let's play I along. I have high hopes. <laughs> I do too. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, a, a night like tonight, this is the perfect time because you wouldn't want to go out in the rain and yeah, you know, know. drive through the, the mess. <laughs> and there's some people that don't mind and they're like, hey, I'll be on the clock. I'll do this. I'm going to make some extra money yeah. for my family. I get that. I get that. I just, I feel, I don't know. I don't feel good about it. I, I just feel bad. I mean, one time I ordered food when I was sick. I was like, I don't want to go out. I'm going to order some food. That'll be good. I ordered food and the guy showed up and brought me the food and he was sick too. And I was like, see, who do I think I am ordering this food? When, and a person just as sick as me brought it to me. I don't feel good about this. Also, I'm going to get some hand sanitizer. <laughs> you know, I just like felt weird about the whole thing. So there was that. Anyway, I think that's really interesting. But here's another Uber thing that I want to talk with you about. That is now during a ride, Writers can access Uber's safety toolkit to text 911 with a pre-populated message of all the pertinent information, like the car license plate, where they're going, their exact location, things like that. And now they did something similar. They first added a 911 assistance mechanism in May of last year. It was in partnership with Rapid SOS. But now, so Uber's launching this they're hoping to roll it out everywhere, they say. They're launching it first in Los Angeles in partnership with local law enforcement. I think it's an interesting idea. I mean, I, I, I don't hate that because we've heard of so many incidents with rideshare. Um, I mean, to me, there's still... Whose mic is on? Dave, is your mic on? I think your mic's on. Not not any. It was. It's off oh, now. Okay. It like, will be off again shortly. Okay. I was like, I hear typing. What's happening? Okay. Um, just in case you started talking about me, I just want to make sure I wanted to, I'm here looking out for you. Anyway, I feel like it, it's a little bit of another Band-Aid, you know what I mean? That Like, well, maybe keep those background checks going instead of giving me more ways to call 911 when things are going south. Maybe just don't put me in harm's way in the first place. Maybe that. Yeah, proactive versus reactive. Yeah. Always a better idea. And I don't know that, you know, there have been so many stories of Uber running into issues with different kind of screening processes than Lyft and, you know, I, I mean, 
I, I've used both before. I tend to use Lyft more. And I always, you know, I'm always curious about the people I'm riding with. So I always talk to them, do you do Uber and Lyft? Or, and more and more people now say, nope, just Lyft. It's a better deal. You know, some people say, well, I'll do Uber just to get, you know, they offer bonuses, like do 10 rides, get $50 bonus. I'll do that, which I get that. I don't begrudge anyone making their money. That's fine. Um, I don't know. I I think it's I think it's an interesting idea to to have this 911 option in there but mm, we'll see bigger issue coming up we're going to like I said we're going to be talking with AD Quig from Crane's Chicago business in the 8 o'clock hour she wrote about Via which is a which is a rideshare app we don't talk about as much because it's a little bit different it's not that single ride it is more the carpool and you got to walk to a designated location to find them and then they'll take you usually to a public transportation spot or something like that um so she wrote about how ride shares are uh, kind of approaching as the mayor is thinking through how to deal with some traffic and some congestion stuff. There's the idea of a congestion tax being being proposed. And we don't really know because the mayor's office has been very quiet about the budget. Usually we, we get a hint of things because there's maybe an effort to drum up support in Springfield or something like that. That's not happening. So life has been really quiet about what's in that budget. So we don't quite know yet. And all will be revealed on October 23rd when that happens. And I think, I mean... I would not want to be Lightfoot that week because you have the proposed teacher strike happening October 17th and then you have your budgets due October 23rd. That's a lot. You, I wouldn't want to be mayor anyway. That sounds like a very big job that would give me a lot of wrinkles. Uh, but, you know, she's she's on it. She's got the job. And so we'll see what she does. So we're going to be doing that. We're also going to be talking with a 2019 Studs Terkel Award winner in the next hour, who is also the managing editor of MLK 50, which is a really, really interesting project that kind of takes history and current day and looks at a lot of issues through a lens of history is kind of a, a, a yardstick to see where we're at. So lots of cool stuff coming up. Uh, lots to do, lots to do. Uh, but back here in just a little bit, I have a very important question for you on the other side of news about college athlete endorsements. All that's coming up here in just a bit on 720 WGN. 720 WGN. Hey there, it's Amy Guth here on the Saturday Night Special. Thanks for being with me tonight. Hope you're warm and dry wherever you're listening from. I appreciate you taking the time to hang out. Lots to do on the show tonight. Lots of things to talk about. But here is a thing I would like to talk with you about right now. And that is the topic of college athletes being allowed to cash in on endorsement deals. So Illinois might follow California's lead and allow this to happen. So allow athletes to be paid for the use of their name and life under newly introduced legislation that would likely open the door to lawsuits and could jeopardize, could potentially jeopardize, the state's position in the Big Ten. It is a really interesting topic, right? Because it certainly would, if that were to be the case, if college athletes could take endorsements and work with agents and all that, it would certainly change recruiting, right? If you are a young person and you're looking at some schools and you're like, well, Heck, I could make a little money if I look at a school in Illinois or California because our legislation that is proposed was modeled after some legislation that passed this past week in California. So I talked about this this earlier this week on Crane's Daily Gist, which I host Monday through Thursday. I talked about this with Sarah Zimmerman from Crane's, and uh, I think it's a really interesting topic because it's it's kind of fraught. There's a lot of stuff there. So if you'd like to weigh in, 312-981-7200, let me know what you think about this because I can see pros and cons. I can see a lot of issues. Now, here is, at first I was like, well, you do need something that divides 
amateur from professional sports. So, okay, let's just kind of leave it. But then the example given to me was Loyola. Think about last year. Those kids' faces were on everything. They were all over. There were Sister Jean bobbleheads, right? There was everything. There was so much going on. Those kids didn't make a cent off that, off their own likeness. And I thought, okay, that's a really good point. That's a, that's fair. And so I, I I don't know that I'm I'm not I don't know that I'm saying, hey, call me and convince me because you know I, I've made that mistake on the air before <laughs> and it went badly two hours later. Uh, but I'm I'm curious what everybody thinks about this. I, I because I think it's a it's an interesting topic. It would certainly, certainly change recruiting for sure. It might even, I mean, imagine just the agent part, right? If you were allowed to work with an agent as a student, that would certainly change. I got to think maybe, maybe not necessarily your odds of getting into professional sports after school, but it wouldn't hurt them, right? Because you've already kind of got, you've already got your name out there. You've already got some representation. You're not coming out of nowhere, I don't know. I think there's a lot to that. It's a it's an interesting one. Ben, what do you think? Uh, I I agree. I think it's going to be very interesting to see where this goes. Um, I certainly think if one state's done it, they all have to do it to keep it an even playing field as far as recruiting. Well, there's that, right? I think that's yeah. that would be the interesting part. And and I've had several discussions um, with several of our uh, sports staff here uh, on the subject since it it's been ongoing, um, and an interesting thought that I brought up is what if instead of being paid because everybody's looking at this as a payday for the athlete Mm -hmm. you know with the amount of debt that we see students incurring Mm. in this day and era what if that money instead of going to them as a paid professional went towards their student you know owings that's an interesting idea because you know there there was a something that 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 sarah zimmerman the reporter that i talked to about this story she brought up a very important point to remember, and that is when we think of college athletes, we immediately assume a scholarship. And that is just not the case. Some of them do have a scholarship, but is not that's not across the yeah, board. Something like ten percent or I, I I don't know. I don't know. I'd have hand, to I, I, know I don't want to say the wrong number. Yeah. Uh, it, in and, comparison. and I absolutely would you know, I was guilty of that same thing, thinking, Oh, well, if you're playing sports, you've got you know, you got some help getting there. Not the case. Yep. Not the case. Not even the majority, necessarily. So I think that's actually not a bad idea, Ben. I think that's an interesting thought. To, uh, to I, I was going to ask Mark Harmon about this before he left, but he like got out of here after the after yeah. the Wildcats yeah. kind of recap and all that. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. Again, 312-981-7200. Give us a call. Tell me what you think about this. I can see both sides. I can. I do think there needs to be something that divides amateur and professional sports. So yeah. let's say this happens. Let's say... Any college athlete can take endorsements and can and can work with representation. So then in your mind, what divides college and amateur sports? Where's the line? Is it just about the game and the rules of the game on the field at that point? Well, I would like to think that, but as we're seeing in the, the right. ongoing NFL college football rules debate. That's right. Yeah, that's and, true. Yeah. Um, I, I basically I don't know. just comes down to being paid to play. I mean, they're only getting a certain amount for their likeness being used versus being paid to do that job. So, I but look, that's I, the I, line. I mean, I think the Loyola example. The, so let me let me say that again and not get tongue tied. The Loyola example, I think, was a very powerful one that got me thinking about it a little bit differently. I, I'll be honest, because yeah, I feel like the, their faces were everywhere. 
everywhere during all that going on with Loyola, right? I mean, that, they were every, they were beloved all over the city. Now imagine their faces would have been, maybe they would have endorsed a product or, or a particular athlete would have endorsed a local brand. That would have been very useful to that brand, right? Yeah. Have mm-hmm. a Loyola athlete. And should you be paid for your work and your likeness? Absolutely. I think everybody should get paid. Uh, you know, there's yeah. especially, you know, in, in a lot of fields, there's always like, oh, it's good exposure. No, let people get paid. I don't know. Again, 312-981-7200. looks like a couple of calls are coming in. So I would love to know what you think about this proposed legislation happening in Illinois. I, I think, Ben, I think you made a great point that if the other states don't jump on quickly, like California's passed this, Illinois proposed it. If the other 48 states don't jump in pretty quickly, like, well, you might have a really uneven playing field for a little while. And that's a that's a valid consideration, too. And then if say say for a while that Illinois and California were the only states with this, what does that look like for keeping the playing field level? Yeah, there's a lot there. There's, I think there's, there's a lot of things to consider. I think there's a lot to that. And, you know, I, I mean, as the athlete, I get it. You sure make a little bit of money for this, what you're doing and f- be awarded for your winning. I get that. That seems reasonable. And if you're working with an agent to secure these sponsorships, certainly that would probably give you a leg up in the competition of, of moving on to professional sports later. So I don't know. I think that's interesting. We got a couple calls in. We're going to, it looks like esteemed producer Ben Anderson is talking to a couple of callers right now, but as soon as they're ready, we're going to chat with some folks because I am very curious what everybody thinks about this. Because every time I looked at social media, except for today when it was all about the booze pods, that when that was trending, uh, I thought that was, uh, I thought, that, you know, I saw it up a lot. There was an interesting piece from Joe Cahill in Crane's Chicago Business. He uh, is a business columnist. His position, I mean, the headline says it all. Why not let college athletes pitch? Why not? You know, why not let them do that? So interesting stuff. Um, while Ben is getting some callers set up, while he's getting all that worked out, looks like suddenly the callers are happening. Uh, again, a little bit later in the show, in the next hour, I'm talking with a Studs Turkle Award winner about her win and I'm all, and her work. And I'm also talking with A.D. Quigg from Crane's Chicago Business about how the mayor and some rideshare companies are working together. But right now, let's talk with Jeffrey. Hi, Jeffrey. You're on WGN. What is your thinking here about, about college athletes and endorsements and working with agents? Tell me what you think. How you doing, Amy? I, well, I was curious. I, you've mentioned Loyola a couple times, and yeah. as, as a Loyola alum, uh, I would agree that you know, in eighteen, those guys were were all over the place. Yeah. What you know, when you say their likeness, I mean it, it. It's a little bit different than than having an agent and 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 getting, you know, product endorsements and so forth. I mean, what 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 were you thinking cuz you you made the comment a couple times that you could see the pros and cons but you didn't you didn't identify any of them and i was I didn't lost well, on, on what your position was. Okay. No, well, I mean, my position is I want to talk about it. That's my position. Cause I think I really thought, no, I think we should keep, as I said, we should keep a line between amateur and professional sports and, and it's fair. Absolutely. And then Absolutely. once the, once the example about Loyola and how popular those kids were during that time, once that was pointed out to me, I started to change my thinking about this and thought, well, you know what? Those kids were everywhere. There were sister Jean bobbleheads. There was all this stuff. Maybe it does make sense. And then I thought, you know, Ben had an inter- interesting point about maybe that could go to tuition relief. 
But then I think to throw in the recruitment part, you know, certainly that would give uh, give a state a very different, uh, you know, recruiting strategy and a recruiting, um, you know, leverage. So that, when mm-hmm. I yeah, so I think there's a lot. It's not very black and white to me. I think there's a lot there. So that's why I want to talk about it. You know, where, where, where in the Loyola instance would you expect or or wish to see those students? When you say that they were everywhere, I mean, should they be, should they be comp- And I think that you'd have to to draw a line between them and Sister Jean. I mean, Sister Jean is a uh, is you know, now I don't want to say a holdover. That wouldn't but be the right term. Figure. But yeah, not you know, an she athlete. Com- sure. she, she comes over from the from the Mundelein College side. She was there when I was a student in the late eighties, early nineties. She's part of the institution. The players are too, but they're also students. So if Sister Jean wants to go out and, I suppose, yeah, license herself to be a bobblehead, what? Like, yeah. would you expect the kids to get paid every no. time they're on the front page of the sports section? Or no, I, no new, news reporting on news is different. But if you, you know, would it have been fair for them to have have, have you know endorsed a product or or get representation from that? I think it's an interesting idea. I think, though, you're interviewing me. I want to know what you think, Jeffrey. What do you, you went to Loyola. What do you think that college athletes should be permitted to do? I, 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 they're there to, they're there to play. Yeah. Okay. Right. And, 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 and that's it. And, you know, this notion, and I, and I sense that my opinion is, and I know that some of your, well, I, I definitely know you will, and, and maybe some of your, your listeners will disagree, but this seems to be, Sort of the, the 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 call from the left and some of the minority groups are you know the NCAA makes millions off these kids. Well, you know it, it's it, I think that's an oversimplification. Uh, the NCAA is is the conference or, or the collegiate association that handles all. I don't to say that they're making millions off these kids. It, it gives us this this idea like uh, like slave labor or something. I mean I I don't what what. I don't I think, as, as a libertarian, I have absolutely no problem with them making their own private endorsements, right? Um, but what type of compensation does one expect a college student to get? Because they, you know, I mean, look at it this way. Some, you know, there's going to be all sorts of players, right? And some teams are going to be great, and some teams are going to be bad, and some teams are going to be small, and some teams are going to be big. For sure. What, what, who's going to, who, I mean, are we going to leave it to the state of California or, or Chris Welch out in uh, in Westchester. He's a representative for the. He's he's pushing this uh, in, in the Illinois side. Yeah, he I mean, introduced he the legislation. Decide who's going to get compensated at what rate? I mean, and then and then you know where this is going to go, Jeffrey. You're going to get me in trouble for not going to break. There, there's going to be some parent or or, or, or some group that's going to say, "Hey, well, you know, these 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 kids at Mount Carmel." They're the best football team in the state. They should get compensated too. They're bringing in money for for IHSA. I mean, you know, it. it, it they're, they're students, right? And they're playing ball on behalf of their school. And and if they if they sense that they're getting the wrong end of the deal, and I don't know what the pro rules are, but maybe they should just skip college and go right to the big leagues. Well, there you have it. All right. Well, I appreciate your call. I got to go to break. I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm going to get in big trouble you're with bad. my no, producer. You're fine. Okay. You're fine. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good night. Thanks so much. Appreciate the call. All right. So, Craig, I'm coming to you next, but we got to take a quick break. Back in just a bit. I would love to hear from the rest of you. Three one two nine eight one seventy two hundred. Back in just a bit here on seven twenty WGN. 720 WGN, it's Amy Guth. It's the Saturday Night Special. Thanks for being with us tonight. Well, before the break, I asked a question, and that was, 
should college athletes be allowed to cash in on endorsement deals? So far, I don't think you're feeling it, my friends. I, I think you're saying no. I think you are. We got a bunch of calls to get to, so I gotta, I gotta limit the stopwatch and everybody. But Craig, you've been so cool to pay and very patient to wait really quickly. What is your comment on this? How are you feeling about college athletes and endorsement deals? Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, first of all, I don't uh, endorse it. And also, when I hear people say they're not being compensated, if anybody out there, and I'm sure a lot of them are, have ever sent a child to college, depending on the university, that tuition could be worth anywhere between forty to $60,000 a year, times four. So they are being compensated for something that's quite valuable. I don't think it's a good idea for a variety of reasons, especially when you consider gambling's involved mm. in the sport to begin with. And I also think it will be a, a big distraction for them. And I'm not sure that the coaches really would like the idea of them now having yet another distraction between schoolwork and practice. And now that, I just think it's a bad idea. That's a really good point that you make about gambling, Craig. Thanks so much for the call. Have a great night. You're welcome. Yeah, that's a that's a good point that I haven't heard brought up yet about the, the issues around gambling. All right, let's go to Mark in Winnetka. Mark, what do you think about college athletes and being allowed to take endorsements? Hi, I, I am totally against it. Okay. Uh, I don't I don't see the regulation. How are you gonna regulate this thing? I played college football, I got a scholarship, I was very proud to play for my university and thought I was totally compensated. On the other hand, I have four children with 28 years of uh, private college. I've got two doctors, a lawyer, and that was expensive. Sure. And Georgetown, Lehigh, Vanderbilt. You got some Rich- smart kids there, Mark. They went to some great schools. That's awesome. Congratulations. So I don't really see the point of it either. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have your elite schools who are going to get all the kids with all the attention and all the money and you're going to have the other schools that don't get anything just like everything else i don't, I don't know. think they need it and your comment about you know not everybody's on a scholarship on mm-hmm. a football team i don't know if you've met football but I'm, i think on a football team they get 30 scholarships a year so in four years they have 120 scholars scholarship athletes on that full football team yeah, so I, meant, I would say it's more than ninety percent of the kids on the team. Yeah, I meant kind of sports gener- more generally than than only football. Um, but I, I'm happy to talk to you because I think your perspective is a really good one, given given that you played college ball. The, I don't know if you could hear the last caller mentioned his concern about about gambling connected to the sport and how that would be an issue and another distraction for students. What do you think about that? I don't think it's a distraction until you get into the NFL. I was in the NFL, and we had weekly meetings with uh, FBI agents. Don't go near this guy or that guy. If somebody contacts you, don't respond. So I don't think college, although I know there is a little bit of, uh, you know, kids throwing throwing games and that kind of thing in college, I just think it's very rare. Hmm, that's interesting. It sounds like you maybe have a book in you, Mark. It sounds like you've had an interesting life uh, with lots of good stories to tell. You're talking about, you know, NFL and college ball and FBI agents. That sounds, I think I want to hear from you. You should be a guest on the show sometime. We've got a lot more things that are 
a lot more interesting than that. Okay, well, I look forward to hearing them. I hope you call me back some <laughs> other time. Well, thanks for the call, Mark. I appreciate it. Nice talking with you. Yeah, this is the first time I've ever responded to a call. That's how much I, I'm against it. So, oh. But thanks for listening to me. Oh, well, thanks for calling. Thanks for listening to me. There, I'm happy to be the first person that, that uh, pulled you in to, to call in the radio station. I appreciate your time. All right, see, there's a, there's a lot of good points. I thought everybody made some really interesting points with this. It seemed pretty much people were like, nope, nope. I tweeted this out at the same time to see what Twitter would say. I got more of a mixed response on Twitter, but pretty much the callers are like, no, I'm not against it, but I think there were some really good points that we should all think about. So it remains to be seen. The Illinois legislation that has been proposed uh, by Welch is modeled after the California legislation, as we were saying with the second caller um, and that or sorry, with the first caller. And that's so that's interesting. There was a lot of, you know, a, a lot of issues that. You know, we don't know. We don't know yet. We until it until it happens, if it happens, right? Because this is this isn't the first we're talking about this. You know, this is something that's come up time after time after time. This has come up a lot. So I don't know. Interesting. So I have an interesting point. What you got on this one? So what is the difference between these athletes who who are at a college versus something we see every four years when we see Olympians all over media? You know, and these are. Like, I mean, the full gamut, some are adults, but some are in high school, some are in college, and they're able to do that. Right. I mean, right. The first thing I think of is, well, they're not representing a school necessarily, and some of them aren't in school. They've taken a leave But even even when they're not representing the school, they still, you know. They're still in the Wheaties box. Yeah, but, you know, how many, you know, when the story picks up and it gains traction, you know, on on whichever athlete is the highlight during those two weeks during the summer games, Mm -hmm. we hear more and more about their backstory. And we see these little press packages about everything they do and where they've been. So we hear and see what school, you know, they're at and what they've That's been true. doing. That's true. We get to know them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I thought the the last caller, Mark, was... Oh, I, th- I think Mark had great points. I thought he had great points. I just wanted to be a little devil's and, advocate yeah, no. on the other side of it. No, I, I mean, I liked hearing from Mark because he's been there. You know, mm-hmm. he's been in, in that very soup and he knows exactly, like, he knows what he's talking about because he's been there. And so I think it's the, like, I can sit here and say, well, here's what I think or maybe this or let's let's think about it this way. I've never played college ball. I don't know. You know, I don't know. I'm just kind of looking at it as an outsider. So I thought that was a really interesting call. So kudos again to Mark for calling. I appreciate being the first person to ever encourage him, you know, to get him to call at a radio yeah. station too. But I thought that was an interesting point because he's walked in those shoes, both yeah. as, as a, you know, high school, college and and NFL, I think, like his perspective was really interesting to me. So, all right, coming up on the other side of news, we're going to go back to the topic about rideshare. In particular, though, we're going to talk about how Mayor Lightfoot and the rideshare companies are trying to figure out how to work together. Lots there, lots there, as we're ready to see Mayor Lightfoot's uh, budget on October 23rd. And there's a lot of secrets around it. There's a lot of questions around it. Usually we get a little something like from the, from the, you know, Emanuel administration, we would get a little more. We don't know. We don't know. So we're going to hear from A.D. Quigg from Crane Chicago Business about that. I talked to her a little bit earlier, but I, I recorded the whole thing for you. So you wouldn't miss, wouldn't miss a word. So we're going to hear from her and find out all that she has to say. And then we're going to hear from Deborah Douglas, who is a 2019 Studs Turkle Award winner and uh, her work at MLK 50 and all around lots and lots of places. So we're going to talk with her too. So let's get you news here in just a bit. And uh, we're going to, news is going to be next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. 
Monday morning, the latest state, local, and national news, and the Danimal chimes in on the Bears. Justin Kaufman with G. Suki in one more day for Steve Cotton. We're Chicago's very own WGN. If it's time for your business to move to a locally owned business bank, call Signature Bank. At Signature Bank, you'll work with decision makers who understand your business and deliver on their promises. The founders, Mick O'Rourke, Kevin Bastuga, and Brian Duncan own and operate Signature Bank with a hands-on, personalized approach. American banker named Signature Bank, one of America's best banks to work for, turn your business vision into reality. Call 773-467-5600 or visit SignatureBank.Bank today. Member F. FDIC equal housing lender. Improving your home can be easy. Find all your home improvement needs with one visit to the Free Home and Garden Show. This weekend only in St. Charles. See thousands of the latest home products and services and speak with experts who are eager to help you with your upcoming projects. From interiors to exteriors, from decor to outdoor, you'll find it all at the Home and Garden Show this weekend at the Pheasant Run Resort Mega Center off Route 64 in St. Charles with free admission and free parking. For details, visit PheasantRunHomeShow.com. That's Pheasant Run homeshow.com that old car is worth money visit victoryautorecords.com for an instant quote victoryautorecords.com victoryautorecords.com diabetes high blood pressure anxiety meds everyone's on them if you're a 50 year old male maybe a bit beefy or even with type 2 diabetes a million dollars of term insurance may only cost you about 200 bucks a month affordable term life insurance is out there call term provider and speak with big lou at 800-481-1458 800-481-1458 or visit biglou.com remember big lou's like you he's on meds too Thanks to all the callers who called in to weigh in on the topic of college athletes and endorsements. I always appreciate calls because I always like to hear other points of view on things and listen to all the points. And there were some really good ones made. And thanks to everybody who's tweeted me about that topic, too. Coming up with uh, David Jennings, you, we will take you to news here just in a little bit. On the other side of news, lots to do. We're going to hear from A.D. Quigg from Crane's Chicago Business about rideshare and the mayor and how they're trying to play together. And we're going to hear from a Studs Terkel Award winner. Lots to do. So like I said, Coming up, David Jennings with your news. Seven twenty WGN. Don't you just love that song? That's a fine, fine song. It's Amy Guth here on the Saturday Night Special. Thanks for being with me tonight. Appreciate all those callers on the in the last segment. That was a contentious topic. You know, you get nervous teeing those up sometimes. You really do because you're like, oh boy, people are going to come at me. But hey, you know what? I thought we had some civilized conversation. It's a contentious issue, but I thought that was pretty good. All right. So now we have a conversation I want to play for you. I talked a little bit earlier today with A.D. Quigg from Crane's Chicago Business. And uh, she wasn't available tonight, but she was available for a little while today. So I wanted to grab that opportunity because she covered covers politics and government with Cranes and does such a fantastic job and has so much information about everything that she covers. And I talked with her about as we're leading up to October 23rd and we're hoping to get, you know, some detail about what might be on Lightfoot's budget on, on October 23rd. And not many people know, uh, one topic that's been kind of up with that is with rideshare and the idea of a congestion tax. And there's a lot of stuff there of how uh, the rideshare companies like Uber and Lyft and, that we were talking about earlier, and also Via, which is one we talk about less because they, they operate a little bit differently than Uber and Lyft. They're more about shuttle service and supplementing public transportation. There's some thought about how they can all work together 
with Mayor Lightfoot. So let's listen to part one and two of this conversation with A.D. Quigg from Crane's Chicago Business. So ahead of the mayor's budget proposal later this month, Via, which is a competitor for Uber and Lyft, says that Lightfoot should consider going easier on carpooled rides. Talk to me about this. So I have never used Via before and was reached out, uh, got reached out from a couple of folks that work at the company. It operates in a few bigger cities, and they are kind of built around this whole idea of carpooled rides and building this algorithm that gets people in groups very efficiently to where they need to go. And they have been operating in Chicago since 2015 and are kind of jumping on this bandwagon that a lot of transportation folks are getting on that, you know, rideshare is here and we need to figure out a way to make it work for cities. And a lot of what uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot has talked about is that Uber and Lyft drivers uh, and via drivers from abroad, from either other states or from the suburbs, are contributing to a lot of the city's congestion. And via has said, you know, one way to attack this, people aren't going to give up rideshare, is to incentivize carpooled rides with strangers by, like, charging a lower rate. So currently, uh, the city charges a $0.72 per ride fee on everybody. And they're saying, instead, we should think about a lower uh, percentage-based ride for people that choose carpooling because, you know, they're reducing congestion by taking maybe one less car off the road. You know, and th- this kind of is is also part of the conversation that you have, you and I have had on Cranes Daily, just about the idea of a proposed congestion tax of making certain areas of the loop or maybe certain hours or certain days uh, taxed in a different way. And this is kind of all this 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 part of this conversation about about getting around the city, just infrastructure of city and transportation of how we are using the city and how it's you know traffic is a thing. Traffic is definitely a thing, and this is something uh, Lori Lightfoot campaigned on. She was like, we need to charge a little bit more on Uber and Lyft in order to help fund public transit. We need to try to get people to take public transit. It's one of our city's greatest services. It's uh, equitable. It's better for the environment. And she has said one way to do that and one way to start is by addressing rideshare. But rideshare folks will tell you we're not contributing that much to congestion in cities. And we need to think about this in a more holistic way by charging all people that choose to drive their own cars rather than just attacking rideshare. This would be a big effort if we're looking at the way other cities do it. We would have to set up a lot of infrastructure to charge what we have talked about before, which is the congestion tax from folks that choose to drive into the loop. So I'm I'm going to be interested to see exactly what the mayor proposes in this upcoming budget. Um, her her team did not really give me any hints because we're still taking a look at different ways that we could address congestion in this budget. She has said previously that any changes they would make in the near term would be modest, and we're not clear about how much revenue this could generate either. But what Transpo folks would tell you is that no matter what we do on congestion pricing, we can, we shouldn't be using this money to plug this big budget hole that the city has. We should be using it to fund public transit instead. So that. There's so many components at work. Do you want to use this to generate revenue? Do you want to use this to reduce congestion? Do you want to try to do both? We're going to hear hopefully a lot more when Lightfoot introduces her budget on October 23rd. Yeah, there's so much writing on October 23rd. I think there's so many, <laughs> so many stories that are, you know, right now, the answer is wait till October 23rd for so many issues, mm-hmm. transportation just being one of them. So then backing up to VIA again, are other cities sort of looking at VIA as this carpool tool? Have, have they kind of cracked the code on that, that, that maybe Chicago could look to for for ideas and, and answers, perhaps? What's interesting is VIA um, 
it's it's a very small share of rides here in Chicago. I think part of that is just uh, maybe a marketing issue. Uber and Lyft have been very aggressive in expanding to as many cities as possible. Via has been a little bit more um, purposeful, and they are have kind of described themselves as a partner to transit. So Via has partnered with cities like New York to provide routing for its public school buses. It has also offered um, flat fee rides, so $2.50 to take you to a transit stop rather than driving you all the way home. They are trying to address this in other cities. So they're like San Francisco has agreed to put variable rates. Voters will vote as to whether carpooled rides should be cheaper than private rides. A state legislator in Massachusetts is also trying to propose a state charge on rideship for $6.25 for single rider trips and $4.25 for carpool trips. Um, it'll be interesting to see how VIA tries to work with the city and partner with them on maybe some, some ways to use their algorithm because the company really started as a way to help transit systems in cities. So I'll be interested to see if they want to figure out other ways to partner with the city, maybe on something akin to bus rides. But again, it's about what riders want to choose to do and if that could be made attractive to them. It really seems like in Via's approaching Mayor Lightfoot, it really seems as if they're like, you know, we're not really doing the same thing that Lyft and Uber are doing. We're, we're a little different. We're, you know, especially their their model, even though Uber and Lyft have like the carpool thing and there's a shuttle service for one of them. I, I think this is it, it's its own thing since Via's, Via is not a, a private ride. It And as you said, is made to supplement transportation, public transportation. I mean, do you think that's fair? Should they be treated maybe a little bit differently? than Uber and Lyft as far as how the city views them and how the city interacts with them and, and deals with revenue? That's a good question. I don't know. This is the thing about this brand new economy. Of It seems like every week we have some new solution to X, solution to Y that these private companies are coming up with. It'll all depend on kind of how the mayor wants to treat these companies. Mayor Rahm Emanuel is very big on big tech. Lori Lightfoot is big on equity. So I think Zia has, has figured out one way to get Lightfoot's ear is to say, you know, our model and our, our view of city data, our analysis of city data shows that people from low income areas on the south and west sides are choosing shared rides as a way to address the transit gap that exists on, on the south and west sides. And if we incentivize that, we could make the city a more equitable place. And I think I think that's a smart play by them because everything Mayor Lightfoot has done has had an equity lens on it. And that might win her over. We're not sure yet. As you point out in the story, the South, Southwest and West sides had the highest proportion of shared trips with afternoon peak periods as high as 39% and 37% respectively. That's that that's too big a number to, to ignore and say that that's not a significant part of, of transportation. Right. I mean, these are more affordable rides. I mean, if you're on, if you're on Uber or Lyft and you've the pooled option, sometimes it costs half as much and it takes you a little bit longer to get there, but it really is an affordable alternative to get you somewhere pretty direct. The other interesting thing about VIA is that they incentivize you to, you have to walk a couple blocks to get to the most efficient route. Um, one complaint I've heard transit folks make about Uber and Lyft is that there's a lot of drivers kind of circling around waiting for their next ride. This this system has, it's built this algorithm to get you to somewhere in the most efficient manner. It's a, it's a fascinating way to, to look at this. And again, I think VIA is also being smart. They are they have less than 1% of the total rides in the city of Chicago. So coming out kind of boldly early on this when they know that the mayor is looking at this is also just a way to get their name out there. 
That's a conversation that I had a little bit earlier today with A.D. Quigg from Crane's Chicago Business. She is the politics and government reporter there. We're going to take a quick break and check in with our sponsors. And then when we come back from the break, I'm going to play part two of that conversation with you because she gets into some other stuff about the upcoming mayoral budget and all that. So back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. Seven twenty WGN. It's Amy Guth here on this Saturday night special. Thanks for being with us on this rainy and chilly Saturday. I hope you're warm and dry and cozy wherever you're listening from. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your time. Appreciate you being with me. So right before the break, we were playing a conversation that I had a little bit earlier today with A.D. Quigg, who is the politics and government reporter at Crane's Chicago Business. She couldn't be with us tonight, but she did have a little break of time this afternoon. So I decided to seize the day and talk with her then and just share the audio with you tonight rather than not talk with her. because She has so much great information. Anyway, we started the conversation, if you're just tuning in, by talking about how Mayor Lightfoot and some of the rideshare companies are trying to work together to figure a bunch of stuff out, because we all know traffic is a thing for sure. But VIA is an interesting one that's made to supplement public transportation. So it's kind of on its own. It's sort of its own little island. It's a little bit different than Uber and Lyft. So let's listen to part two of that conversation with A.D. Quigg from Crane's Chicago Business. And talking with Uber and Lyft officials, do they seem to be distancing themselves from Via or do they kind of feel like, hey, we're all this rideshare big family and we have this common interest to work with the city in this way? So they have they've all teamed up previously um, when D.C. was considering changes to it, its rideshare fees. They they all kind of teamed up and said you should incentivize pooled rides and then keep private rides at, at a higher rate. I think they're not signing on yet probably wisely because they don't know what what the mayor is working on. And both of them have said, are kind of insisting that whatever the mayor does, that she shouldn't, she shouldn't penalize just Uber and Lyft and via vehicles if she chooses to increase some kind of tax. She's saying, they're saying if she wants to reduce congestion, she has to go after all cars on the road, not just us. We'll see how they respond to what she proposes. But I think it's kind of a, it's all kind of a wait and see because you don't want to make enemies kind of early before this budget. I, I, I could see Mayor Lightfoot making a proposal on her budget and then hoping folks come to the table and, and kind of strike a deal with her. Okay, so what other things are, are you going to be uh, most looking at and most eager to see in the October 23rd budget outside oh. of transportation? I know so many things, but outside, outside of transportation. There's so many things. I mean, the, the biggie is what is she going to propose to fill this $838 million gap? It's a huge gap. She has very little time to address it. In past years, Mayor Manuel would introduce his budget in late September because the fiscal year ends around the same time as a normal year. And it's also very close to when Springfield's veto session begins. And if she plans to go down to Springfield and ask them for something, she should reveal it in this budget. We are so far hearing nothing about what she's going to ask out of Springfield, including from legislators. Legislators are saying, hey, if you have a plan... We need to hear about it so we can know if we can support it. It's it's really a sprint down there that last six days. It's The veto session only lasts six days, and it's a big sprint to try to get a lot done. And if you're not down there selling stuff, uh, legislators are going to be a lot less likely to support it. So I'll be interested to see how much she's relying on Springfield in this budget address, if she comes outright and proposes taxes, um, and how she plans to fund a lot of these, these program rollouts she's had in the last few weeks to kind of we talked about equity earlier. She has said we're going to eliminate uh, fines at the Chicago Public Library. We're going to change the way that we do city stickers for your cars, and we are going to stop water shutoffs. So I'm curious to see 
what the budget impact of, of those will be, perhaps long term. And if she comes right out and says, here's what we got to do, here are the variety of taxes and fees and cuts that we need to make this budget happen. And I'll also be curious to see if aldermen seem like they're on board. We've seen a couple aldermen strike out early against the mayor. Um, we've had a couple appointments either delayed or stopped in committee. We're seeing a couple more aldermen uh, speak out against the mayor. I'll be I'll be very curious to see how they respond to this budget and if we see more pushback than we did in prior years. Mayor Rahm Emanuel always got, you know, at least 45 of the 50 aldermen to usually sign on to his plans. And I'll be curious to see if Lightfoot settles for 26 or 27 aldermen. That's interesting that you that you mentioned that part. It seems like there's a lot more. I don't want to say secrecy because that's that's really not the word, and that's that's sounds derogatory in a way that I I don't want it to be. But it does seem like she plays her card so much closer. Rom was such a salesperson, and it seemed like he really built a lot of consensus. You know, for better or worse, no matter how you felt about him, you know, it seemed like that was one thing he did a lot. He got a lot of people on board with his ideas, good and bad. And it seems like she plays her cards a lot closer. Do you? think that's just a characteristic of her administration or is that a byproduct of being new and this is her first budget or or a little of both or or something else entirely i think it could be a little bit of both and also um she has said she wanted to be more deliberate and get a lot of public input we've seen her have these um, budget town halls over the past few weeks where she sits and listens and solicits input from from citizens across the city and yeah the newness has to play a role in this it's very difficult to run any city it's especially difficult to run a city when you have a deficit like this and when you're working with a teacher strike and a potential teacher strike, 35,000 people may be walking out and, you know, this giant deficit. It'd be hard enough to do your first budget and, and form it in a way that uh, reflects your priorities. It's so much harder to do when you're dealing with a teacher strike and a big list of things you want from Springfield and just such a huge deficit in the first place and really high expectations. You know, she won every single ward in the city in this election. She has said she's going to completely change the way City Hall does business. It's just like, oh, it's it's a lot of things at once. It's a lot of pressure to get things right. And I think it's it'd be difficult for anyone coming in. And it's difficult for someone who's who's not a politician. Yeah, I mean, and there's a there's a lot of land to cover between the October twenty or I'm sorry, October seventeenth proposed strike date and October twenty third. There's a there's a miles to go between those two things. It feels like that like that's that's a week I would not want to be. <laughs> I would not want her calendar. That's just that's a lot to do. That's high stakes. That's a lot of stuff. Yeah, I do. I do not envy her. I remember, you know. In the run-up to this, to the uh, to the mayoral election, I remember thinking, who would ever want this job? Why are there more than a dozen people who want to figure all of this out? And so we have the teachers' potential strike, SEIU, which represents folks at the Chicago Park District and uh, at Chicago Public Schools, uh, custodians, security folks, bus drivers. And then we also have pending contracts with police and fire that we, we don't have a chance to talk about. There's um, a consent decree of the Chicago Police Department that we, we don't get to talk about. Plus, there's all this stuff in D.C. Uh, we have the census coming up. We have uh, a Cook County budget. We have uh, regional issues. She's trying to tackle population loss. It's just it's so much. I don't know who would want this job. It's a crazy one. I mean, that's fair. I, I wouldn't want it. No way. <laughs> no way. No, to be fair. No, I don't need to cover. <laughs> that's right. I'm to be fair. I don't think anyone wants me to be mayor. But but even, even if they did, I don't think I would I would politely decline, I think, because that just sounds like a lot of stuff. Well, thank you for always keeping us up to date. I appreciate your time. And everybody head to Crane's Chicago Business. Follow all the things that everyone does there, but especially 80 Quig. Thanks so much.
Booth 2023. <laughs> I don't know about all that. <laughs> Good times. That was a conversation that I had a little bit earlier today, as you heard, with A.D. Quigg from Crane's Chicago Business. I appreciated her mayoral endorsement of me there, <laughs> That's, but absolutely not. There's no way. That's... Um, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get into politics anyway, right? That's not my bag, but uh, I'd rather talk about them than, than be in them. But I mean, I, you know, anybody coming into that role, no matter whether or not you like Lightfoot, right? Anybody coming into that role, you got a huge budget gap. You, you know, 838 million. That's a, that's huge that you, you have a lot of things to figure out. You have a lot of contracts coming back up. And now you have, you know, this, this potential teacher strike on October 17th. That's a lot of stuff. So uh, I always like talking with AD because she's on top of her beat so well and knows so much and has so much great information. So I appreciate that conversation, but it is interesting to think about via being this little, um, you know, this supplement to, to public transportation. It's interesting how San Francisco has worked it out. It's interesting to think about how that might work here if the city said, you know what, it, it is, it would be useful to, to have people taken, you know, to a bus stop when they're, they're not on a bus route or taken to a train station when they're not. So I don't know. It all remains to be seen. But I think it's very, very interesting as we've, you know, moved into rideshare. I love the point that AD made, though, about, you know what, rideshare is here to stay. It's not going away. We need to learn how to work with it. And the city needs to figure that out. I thought that was a really, really excellent point with this topic. And, and you know, where I said at the top of the show, we, we'd revisit rideshare in a couple of different ways because Uber's rolled out some stuff and Uber is such a big presence here with offices in the city. But nonetheless, it's a lot to think about and a lot of interesting stuff. For those of you who follow me on Twitter, I'm going to tweet out links to all the things we've talked about tonight so you can be sure and find those stories and find those things. So we're going to take a break and get you to news here in just a bit. But on the other side of news, we're talking with 2019 Studs Turkle Award winner, Deborah Douglas. She's a journalist. You've definitely read something she has written. We're going to hear from her in just a bit here on 720 WGN. 720 WGN. Hello, it's Amy Guth here on the Saturday Night Special. Thanks for being with us tonight. I hope you're warm and dry wherever you're listening from because it's yuck out there. Not looking forward to running back outside after this, but uh, then I'll be home and cozy warm myself. So we are joined now by a very special guest. That is Deborah Douglas. She is a multimedia journalist who has just... It, we have just learned in the last, I don't know, week, days, something like that, that she is a recipient of a 2019 Studs Turkle Award, which is so exciting. What a like wonderful, you know, Chicago honor there. Deborah, thanks so much for being with us this evening. Thank you so much, Amy, for having me. Oh, so glad to have you with us. Such an mm-hmm. honor. And so, you know, you have most recently, well, you do a lot of things. You, you are a woman <laughs> with many spinning plates, but, uh, and wearing a lot of hats, but, but, but some of the work that's included in the body of work that you're being honored for is your work around the MLK 50 project where you're the managing editor. Tell us about that project, if you would. Yeah, well, one reason I'm so honored to get this award is because the Turco Award honors Chicago journalists. And so I do work in Chicago and outside of Chicago. And MLK 50 Justice Through Journalism is a nonprofit website that focuses on the economic realities of Memphis, Tennessee. Um, it's the second largest poor metro in the nation. And it's where a lot of Chicagoans come from because we're a lot of great, great migration babies. And so this project um, of Century 
the people instead of the power is my way to express myself journalistically through my great migration identity. As I said, you do lots and lots of things, and, and MLK50 is but one of them. And, and I, I think it's so interesting how your work in particular, as you said, you do move around a lot and travel around a lot. And I think it's very interesting, not only the connection that you just mentioned between Memphis and Chicago, but also um, the way that so much of the work in the MLK50 project connects past and present. So so very seamlessly, almost sometimes in an alarmingly seamless way of to show us like, here were things that were problems decades ago that perhaps are still a problem, but they maybe look different, or maybe they don't. Maybe they're just, you know, in a different space now that I think is really, really fascinating. Tell us about that, if you would. Yeah, so basically, we're keeping score. Uh, We started out uh, as a year-long project, and when I say we, I'm in my friend uh, Wendy, the founder and editor of MLK50. I'm the managing editor. She was a longtime columnist in Memphis, uh, the only columnist of a major daily in Memphis who wasn't Ida B. Wells. So that's another spooky connection there. Um, But we knew that going into the 50th commemoration of Dr. King's assassination in Memphis, that there would probably be a lot of back padding, people looking to say, oh, look how far we've come. We're so enlightened now. And we're like, the city is really poor And power is distributed unequally like it is in so many other places. And so let's do some real journalism that actually flips the script, that really shifts the paradigm and says, let's do some journalism from the standpoint of the people who need it most, which is the people who live here. And they happen to be, you know, um, almost 34% poor, uh, 44% poor children, and then, you know, across the, the, the gamut, um, with, you know, the, the other particular categories, economic categories. And so this, to me, is like a model that can be stretched and scaled to other cities in terms of how we look at the practice of journalism and how we figure out how to connect with people in a real, authentic way. Certainly. I mean, it is a different, um, it is a different approach to journalism than, than we normally see, which is a really fascinating thing, uh, to see and to watch. And, and yet still, you know, as I open by saying, the MLK 50 project is, is one piece of the body of work, because you do so many things. When you, um, when, well, I have three questions here, I'm trying to ask you all at once. So let me just take a breath and not do that. Yeah. And just ask okay. them one, one at a time, because we got a couple segments here. But but one of them is, when you kind of pull back and look at all the things that you're, you're working on now, there's certainly a lot of themes through your work. And, you know, I, I ask that because, People say that to me sometimes. They're like, oh, you you do a lot of different stuff. How do you keep track? And to me, it's all very connected about storytelling and narrative. And, and I suspect a lot of your work is that way. How would you characterize your your body of work, you know, over the last couple of years that you've worked on thematically? Right, right. So you're right. I do a lot of things. So I'm a college professor. I teach thought leadership, so I help um, amplify other upper underrepresented voices. But I'm not doing like a million things. I'm doing one thing. And when the one thing that I'm doing is centering people and not power in all my storytelling. So when I write about for Oprah magazine, I wrote about uh, advances in sunscreen and how there are sunscreens that are, that are now um, increasingly made for African American skin. Well, you know, that is centering people in the story. 
as opposed to, you know, the, the default identity of people who you would normally think of would use sunscreen. And it's, a, it's an Oprah article. Um, I've written for American Prospect and Truth Out based in Evanston. And it's really about, you know, um, amplifying marginalized voices, unheard voices. There's no such thing as a voiceless person. Um, everybody has a voice. We just have to listen to those voices. And so what I'm trying to do is what I always wanted to do uh, since getting into this field is to listen to people. I decided I wanted to be a journalist when I was eight years old because I was short. I would look up at the adults. And I could see that if they would just shut up for a minute and just listen to each other, they would realize that they were closer to the answer than they were apart. And so, to me, this is just my opportunity to do that in covering wrongful convictions in Chicago, um, in covering economic justice. I mean, you, you name it, you know, it's about people. Yes, certainly. Well, you, you've already kind of started down the path of what I wanted to ask you next, and that is what initially brought you to journalism and, and helped you know that this was, you know, for you, and, and where was that starting place for you professionally? Yeah, I'm from, like, the Watergate generation, so a lot of people wanted to get into people that I matriculated through journalism school with. I went to Northwestern. I went to Medill. I taught there. Um, you know, they were um, they were convicted by the, the Watergate uh, results, uh, holding people accountable. And I always, did, always was attracted to that part of it, but I also was attracted to um, going to put to censure people who are who you don't normally see, um, because I know what it's like being in newsrooms. I was the top editor at the Chicago Sun-Times for many, many years, and I know what it takes to stand in the middle of a room and say, you know, there's this nuance about this community that you need to understand. There's a story that we need to tell and to have to fight to tell that story. And it's something that beautiful that happens once you actually you put people out front and um, you, you bear witness to their experience, or you give them the floor to tell their story. I mean, because this is how the you know the world is shaped is by story. And I, I have this like internal struggle about you know what what really matters is it stories or is it numbers? Because you know, as a journalist, I'm kind of a math phobe. Mm-hmm. Although I can do math, I just don't like to do math. <laughs> but even math is a story. So story trumps everything as far as I'm concerned because it speaks to stakes. As a, what are the highest stakes in terms of who lives and who dies, um, who gets a chance to survive, or who gets a chance to thrive, right? And so, um, to me, storytelling is like one of the most powerful things that we can do because we get up every day and we tell ourselves a story. And if you have a good experience or a bad experience, just trace it back to the story. Mm, that's a that's a good quote. I've got to write that one down. That's a very good one. <laughs> you know, when you're talking about the importance of diversity and inclusion in newsrooms, I'm reminded just a few hours ago on the air, I had a conversation with a journalist who had written about how there is there are so many female leaders in the front office of the Philadelphia Eagles organization and kind of, uh, you know, this journalist had compared other NFL, um, you know, other, I'm sorry, other sports uh, teams across sport and kind of what that looked like. And what was interesting thing is the Eagles had hired specifically for, you know, they were saying it wasn't that we went after women necessarily. We weren't trying to fill a quota per se. What we went after was diversity of thought in order to fill gaps of, you know, of blind spots and understand nuances about about different parts of industry and different 
different stakeholders, which I thought was kind of an interesting, you know, an interesting piece there when we're thinking about who who has the wheel in our newsrooms and who's telling the story and 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 are we are are we using all the voices to the you know to the best of our our ability? I think that's an interesting you know an interesting point that we need to think more about right now. However, we need to take a little break. If you can st- okay. stick with us a little bit longer, because I have so many more things to ask you. Uh, but we're talking with Deborah Douglas. She's a 2019 Studs Turkle winner, which is very very exciting. You want to go to that? It is on October the 17th. You can still find tickets online if you find publicnarrative.org. We're going to take a little break and we come back more conversation with Deborah Douglas here in a bit on 720 WGN. 720 WGN. It's Amy Guth here on the Saturday Night Special. Thanks for being with us. That's another good song. Esteemed producer Ben Anderson, you are playing some good music tonight and I appreciate you very much. All my favorite hits. Thank you. I hope listeners, dear, I hope that you are enjoying them as well. We're on the phone right now with Deborah Douglas. She is a 2019 Studs Turkle Award winner, and she's a multimedia journalist here in Chicago and elsewhere. And of course, I think anybody who listens to Rick Kogan's program knows all about Studs Turkle. In case you don't, he's a Pulitzer winning author, historian, and broadcaster. Of course, broadcaster. We got to say that part. He was host of the Studs Turkle program on WFMT from 1952 to 1997. That's a whole lot of show content right there for sure. But nonetheless, we have Deborah Douglas on the phone with us talking about all of her work through the MLK 50 project and many, many other things. So Deborah, I want to focus on this award. That's coming up on October 17th. It's given through Public Narrative, which is one of my favorite organizations. I really love the work that they do in this space. Uh, they give a lot of workshops and help journalists do better work and help us think through you know, new frontiers and things like that, which I think is so great. What does winning the, uh, being one of the 2019 Studs Terkel uh, Award winners mean to you? For, for When you heard that, what was your reaction? I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> my 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 mouth fell open like my jaw jaw dropped I'm like are you sure you beat me <laughs> I thought I would never be Chicago enough to win this award <laughs> that makes me laugh you do you're so Chicago you're so Chicago <laughs> I'm like oh I don't know how Chicago you have to be um <laughs> uh, I mean I was born on the west side and my daddy ran a business on Madison for many years I don't know I'm a great migration baby how much side do you have? I mean, you probably have to be. So um, I, I thought it was an immense honor. And when I was told that, you know, they looked at my body of work and, you know, just it wasn't one thing that people had been paying attention, you know, it just really, really just touched me because, because what I do, I do for people. You know, I want people to feel heard. I want people to feel validated. And ultimately, I want us to create social policies that um, will make life better and equitable for all of us and not just some of us. And so for me, it was this validation that somebody is hearing and listening and we can make change happen. And I've actually been able to do some work where, you know, where, where that sort of thing has occurred, you know, over the course of my journalism career. So I know that can happen, but sometimes you just need to be reminded that this work really matters as difficult as it is in this this news and news gathering environment that is really about doing it for the people 
Hear, hear. I think that's so important. That's so important. I, I, I love hearing you say that. And so I want to ask you a, a difficult question, because I know it is always so difficult for us to, all to uh, toot our own horn, right? When when you are thinking about, you know, the body of your work and all the work that you've done in your journalism career and all the accomplishments that you have, what are the highlights to you? What are the things that you're most proud of? And the reason I ask that is this, because often sometimes the things that we're maybe known for are not, it's not necessarily the things we're most proud of. Sometimes the things we're proud of are, are smaller things. Sometimes they are big things. Sometimes it's a mix of those. What about you? What are the things to you that are the highlights and most meaningful that you're most proud of? I don't know if it's like a thing. I think it's the idea that I am the granddaughter of sharecroppers and my, both my parents picked cotton when they grew up and then they graduated high school and they moved to Chicago. And the fact that I could start small, that I had a dream about being a journalist and I went, I got into Northwestern, I worked hard to get there. And then I was, you know, I tried to take advantage of it. I crashed the graduate school reception my freshman year and got the keys to the Evanston Review when I was still 17 years old. The fact that I could start at the bottom and then work my way to the top or a top, you know, there's still like, you know, plateaus I still want to want to reach. Um, to me, just to be able to do that, to have the ability to do that, to still with all of the hard things that happen in life, the ups and downs, to be able to continue to just to have a vision and to do more on a bigger platform is something I think probably I'm proud of. Knowing full well that, you know, it takes a village to raise a journalist. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. And everybody needs an editor, right? Everybody needs an editor. I'm like, I'm super excited that I got a chance to write for Oprah magazine. Like they asked me, I didn't have to beg for it. Um, and <laughs> I'm like all, all the pieces that I've written where I had an idea, actually had an observation. And I'm like, is this an idea? Is this something that other people are experiencing? And to be able to write something that resonates, you know, and have like an, 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 a high value audience, you know, say that it resonated and they appreciate it. To have people come to you from literally all over the world, to send messages to say, I felt that, those are the things I'm proud of. <laughs> sure. And and do I remember correctly that did did you also win another award f- specifically for that piece in Oprah about sunscreen? I did. The, uh, the Skin Cancer Foundation. I got an award last year for that. <laughs> So many awards, so many accolades with you. That's the thing. So let's look to the present and the future. What now that you have this coming up, what what are the next things that that you're working on in the immediate? And and then let's look kind of at the horizon of the the next big things you want to tackle down the road. Yeah, I'm still focusing on people and I'm I'm African-American. So I'm really intensely interested in the African-American experience as a point of entry into the bigger story about America is not just about being an African-American, but it's about like what we mean when we consider, you know, the African-American contribution. So I'm working on a travel book for moon travel and I've been on the road um, all summer and I'm writing chapters now and I'll be on the road the rest of the fall uh, traveling the, the federally recognized civil rights trail. It hasn't been official very long, only since April t- 2018. And this will be the first travel guide that focuses on that federal trail. And I'll get a chance to interview civil rights um, voices. I'm going to tell the story of why they take the Martin Luther King uh, holiday off. It wasn't off until the markets closed. And I know the, the backstory of how, exactly how that happened. 
Um, hopefully, I'll be talking to um, Diane Nash for my book. Um, of course, Reverend Jackson, uh, who's just a treasure many times over. I'm talking to one of the founders of Stacks Records. Just so many people. I'm so excited. I talked to a gentleman who was connected to the Emmett Till story um, this week. So um, I'm connecting my own personal history, uh, black history, into the current moment. That I cannot wait for that project. That sounds so interesting yeah. and so uh, just like uh, very like so up your alley. That just seems like such a cool thing that you will do so wonderfully doing uh, and do so well with. But w- as you have been, uh, you know, going down that path and and starting that project and getting into it, what has been most surprising to you about that work so far? Well, because the trail is in the south. Um, when I'm when I'm looking at my phone, following my my GPS, my Google Maps, to find a marker or a statue or a building or a thing, I always have to pass a doggone Confederate to get there. <laughs> so to me, this speaks to the tension that we're living in in our society right now. That we have to interface with ideas that we may not agree with in order to, to find our truth and to find our path. And I don't know what that, what the, what the overall meaning of that is going to end up being for me, but I just, I find it interesting, like a working metaphor for my work. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet it's it's interesting. <laughs> so, what's the timeline on that project? Because I, I, I know I can't wait to see it. I'm sure listeners feel the same. Um, it's coming out um, midwinter, early spring. That's not I'll you again. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I was like, you're gonna have to come back because that's not soon enough. We're gonna we're gonna need to hear from you again before all that. Well, unfortunately, we are we are running out of time here. I wish I had much more time to talk with you. So for those of you who follow me on Twitter, I'm gonna be sure and tweet out links to all this stuff. But where can people follow your work now? Where shall they go with questions or follow up comments for you online? I really want to talk to people on Twitter. So follow me at Deadline DD. That's D E A D L I N E D D. I got that because I used to volunteer for Streetwise, and I was the only one who turned my stories in on time. Deadline DD. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. Of course you were the only one who turns your stories in on time. Good for you. Well, well, thank you. I so appreciate you talking with us, and and we'll we'll all see you on October seventeenth at the Studs Turkle Award ceremony. There there are four others with you, and two other interesting awards this year that that are a little bit different than a Studs Turkle Award. So very much looking forward to celebrating with you and uh, and hearing more about it all then. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you. I appreciate your time. All right. So coming up, I'm going to get you to news and all that good stuff. We're going to take a break. For those of you who maybe tuned in late, missed the beginning of the show, something like that, certainly we will have podcasts posted at WGNRadio.com. And again, for those of you who follow me on social media, I love to send out links to all the stuff and uh, let you know. That way you can find these articles for yourself and you can read them and you can find the books, all the things we talk about. All right. We're going to take a break here on 720 WGN. 720 WGN, that does it for me, Amy Guth. Thanks so much to producer Ben Anderson and David Jennings over in News. I appreciate you all listening. Find me on Twitter. I'm tweeting out links to all the stuff we talked about tonight. 